What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Derek Walker today from Brown and Browner. Derek likes to tell the truth. I like hearing the truth. I like dealing in the truth. And we're going to talk about the truth about these times in particular. Derek, welcome. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to see other faces other than family. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I, I love them, but there's a point. There's always a point. I read. I just read actually that divorces have spiked in China dramatically as people have come out. Um, and and that's, I, yeah. I know. I, I was for some reason I was smiling as I was saying that, but the thing is, for some people, there's some pretty bad stuff going on that can trigger mm-hmm. it. Not not just being tired of faces, but other mean stuff that can go on. Oh yeah. Uh, but I like that we started with some awkward truth because I've loosely titled this episode, Tell Me the Truth. Derek, what I want to do today is just talk about what's going on right now, what you're seeing. I want to try to connect it to other phases, other eras, other times in history, because for some people, this might be their first kind of adult out-of-home experience, <laughs> out-of-body, out-of-home wow. experience, yeah. something like this. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe they're chilled and maybe they're petrified. I really don't know. How are you feeling right now? Oh, I'm good. Um it's, I don't think any of us alive have ever seen anything like this, a sickness like this. But there's a generation of us, I remember getting polio shots and vaccines and um, people being in iron lungs, you know, because I was born in the 60s and we were still phasing all of that out. I'm not as panicked about this as I think I should be. Mm-hmm. But part of that is South Carolina is so far removed from where Chicago, New York, LA, the big cities are, mm-hmm. we're not on top of each other. So when they talk about distancing, we are already distanced. We have mass transit, but we don't use mass transit the way the big cities do. When I get a little stir crazy, all I got to do is jump in the car and I can ride around, mm-hmm. you know, and my friends in New York are like, I don't own a car. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you poor soul, you, you know. But I think um, I'm watching this and I'm wondering, I think we're missing an opportunity. I really do. The advertising people have an opportunity to play a little bit more. I'm not seeing that much great work coming. I know it's only been a w- two weeks for some people, three weeks for others, but everybody's still talking about the virus. And I wonder, it would be nice. Sometimes you have to be distracted and lose ourselves in something, you know, work, music, family, mm-hmm. just something other than talking about it. So I've refrained from talking about the virus at all Hmm. Um, but when you talk about play, are you talking about ads that are more playful or what do you, what do you mean by that? Um, not even more playful. Look at what Wyden just did with the, the antivirus ad, encouraging people in Portland to stay home and Oregon to stay home. We're not, I'm not seeing social media posts that are even, you've got the time because everybody's on social media now. At least, and I'm not saying they have to be ads, but at least do something with the medium now. Mm. We all applauded DJ Nice, I think it was. D Nice, I'm sorry. But imagine it took him four days, three, four days to figure that out. And we didn't, as a community, there's nothing coming out of an ad agency like that. Mm. There's nothing coming from a brand like that. Um, There's some brands that should have jumped on this. 
Well, why, why do you why do you think that is? Because like, I feel like there's this echo of earnestness and sincerity that I understand kicked in around September 11 when I asked people about advertising in America and why it's so conservative, let alone the fact that activism can happen, like cancel culture can come at you out of nowhere, let alone the fact that some people are probably doing okay and they don't want to let on in a big way they're doing okay in case it hurts people's you know feelings. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people are also frozen. So what do you think is going think- on? I think all of that is titled fear. Um, the cancel cu- culture, we, we, we've got to figure out what we want to be. Um, I agree with some of the classic comedians. To that point, they just don't care anymore. The Dave Chappelle piece was, I mean, his concert on Netflix was hilarious about that. But what I'm saying is, until we try these things, until we do something, and we don't have to do something, you could have done something heartfelt. Subaru, I think it was, has a TV spot where they don't talk about the car, they talk about us getting through this. Um, oh God, you mentioned 9-11. I was in Dallas, Fort Worth, working at Radio Shack. And I remember when Southwest Airlines came out with them, you know what? The government says we can't fly right now, but as soon as we can, you know, we're getting our wheels up and we're going to fly again because we're Americans and we're not going to let anyone scare us out of the skies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you sit there in the commercial, I'm paraphrasing, the commercial had a realness to it. You know, it, it was a it was a, a rally cry. I'm expecting brands. I'm, I'm, I was expecting, I was hoping for brands to, to decide to be human for a second. Go, you know what? We're going to stop selling for a second to talk to. Mm. You know, and there's a reassurance that could be coming from all so many angles from the brands. Just we're going to get through this. We're going to see the light at the end of the tunnel, Mm. but we've got to work together. There are just messages that they could have been putting out to reassure people. Mm. And I say that because they have the time on TV and radio and on the digital on digital platforms. It's nothing fancy. It's, It's something heartfelt. But we've go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think part of the reason for that not happening is it's it's still so abstract. I mean, I was sick three weeks ago and I was like, damn, it's here. It's here. And mm-hmm. as, I've, as I've gotten better and the streets outside are quieter and quieter and quieter, I'm like, oh, that's strange. <laughs> What's going on out there? And because I'm not feeling it now, it's less, it's less there. And I know how New York is getting hit right now, let mm-hmm. alone if you're in a business park or have been in a business park, you know, a relatively yeah. remote part of the US. It's sort of this weird, slow moving cloud, at least from a perceptual point of view, let alone like maybe reality is like it's more like a lightning bolt than a slow moving cloud. So, and it takes time to get this stuff together. And I don't know, like maybe we'll see some stuff in the next couple of weeks. And I'm hoping so. I really am. I reached out to a friend who's at a company and I don't want to mention the company because, and they're stuck on the supply side. They're making sure that their product gets out because it's something people use on a daily basis. I I sent them an idea for just a gathering, how kids, it's a, it's a children's product. So it's how kids can use zoom and share using the product together. Goddess Rivera asked, what games could children play on, uh, you know, can play during this? And I'm like, they could play any games. That's how I respond to her. I said, hook them up with a a Zoom account, and each child that has a a deck of cards can play, you know, they can play cards against each other. Mm -hmm. They can play checkers. They can play backgammon. They can play um, Monopoly, any of these games. You can go old school on this. You know, if, if, if everybody has a Monopoly board, you can still play. 
These are solutions that don't mean you have to go out and buy anything. But think about what it does for the children. They get to see their friends and they get to play and communicate. Mm -hmm. That to me, I'm looking for solutions like that. And I know how smart we are as an industry. So it bothers me that we're this slow. I really believe, you know, if an agency wanted to, they could be throwing out suggestions and, and things for people to do. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it doesn't require a, a lot of money. Yeah. It's not about that right now. How do we give people, and I don't want to use the word hope, how do we give people a bit of normalcy? What can we do to help calm some of this panic? Mm-hmm. And we hadn't even asked that as a group of professionals. I've been on Twitter. Has any of us, none of us have talked about that. Yeah, I've been quite, I'm going to be quiet on Twitter for a while now because you know, I posted a couple of things and people came at me and I'm like, it, it, I don't mean to sound like a victim here, but sometimes I'm like, you say the word blue and people are like, what about all the other colors in the rainbow? What's wrong with you? You're such a bluest. And there's, I get a little bit of that from time to time. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'm not going to be there for a while. Like not in... I just don't need it. I don't need that stress, especially when it comes from people I've met and I I thought I was friends with. I'm like, oh, just calm down. I know everything's going a little bit crazy. So I can understand why other people are being a bit hesitant as well. When we think through some of the other big things, at least in the US and for me, obviously, Australia, we've got 2008, 2009 financial crisis, September 11, the dot-com crash, 1990,000 especially, and then early 90s recession from memory, at least in Australia. What you know, what was it like for you going through them and how is your mindset either similar or different now? I don't want to answer that. But not really, but I'm going to. And <laughs> I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. Um, I was born black in America. You know, every, every there's always a crisis. Uh, I don't mean that as, as a brag. I mean, it's kind of cool to watch people freak out about their stock the stocks and bonds when I know my parents never had any of that, you know, it's so funny that how quickly in the barbershop, people like, shoot, I'm not going to run out of toilet paper. I'm not going to run out of anything. We've been here. We've always been on the scarcity side. So it's a different mindset coming out of the minority community. It's like, okay, we're going to do what we used to do when we were poor. And it just is flipping on a switch and remembering. Now, my poor sons, who've never had to deal with government cheese and gas lines and all of that, we think we did them a disservice because we didn't teach them to struggle as hard as we had to. But my sons, it's so funny to see them now. They're like, oh, I'm, you know what, Daddy, I'm out there grilling. It's a cheap piece of meat, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smoke it and grill it slow so it'll be tasty. You know, they get it. And I think that's, we're seeing some panic on, on certain products, but I think what we're, and you're talking about two or three different Americas for us, for Americans. Mm-hmm. There's poor white America, there's poor black America and black and brown America. Then there's super wealthy America. And then there's the middle class and everything. Each one of us comes through these things differently. If you're used to doing leftovers and not being eating out and not having not being in the, be able to hit a show every every not having all of those all those things some people who make money take for granted they're not missing much you know mm. my father who's 85 and I take care of him because he's 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 my heart um, he can revert back to the to the 30s and the 40s 
in a heartbeat. You know, it's like, okay, well, we'll have beans and rice. And it doesn't phase it. You know, to me, it's a luxury now to cook beans and rice. I, you know, it's something that normally I wouldn't do. But now I'm like, ooh, and I might be as good as mama. And then I taste them and go, no, I'm nowhere near her. Um, I'm not. But I think that's the thing we bring, some of us old people bring <laughs> to the party is, you know, yeah, it's bad. And it's going to get worse. But it's how you go through it that matters. And if you panic, then it's going to really be horrible for you. And, I'm, and I try to stay as calm as possible because I know hopefully that comes across so that we understand we can get through this if we don't panic. Can I circle back to you, though? It bothers me. Me? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Don't let anyone drive you off of a platform. Don't let anybody silence you. If they're going to come, they're going to come. Look, I have taken my lumps and I give them. But people go, well, well, you pick a battle. Excuse my language. F, picking a battle. I don't pick battles because if I pick a battle, then somebody thinks they can fight me. What I do is I, if, you, if you come at me, I come back at you. And I send you on your way. But I do that for two reasons. When I first started blogging, people were telling me, telling the black guy from Columbia, South Carolina, what does he know about advertising? Because he never worked in advertising. And people were like, oh, ignore the trolls and the, and the critics. And I said, no, I'm going to do them like I would do them if they were sitting across the table from me playing spades in my house. Oh, so you want to talk, punk? And we went at it. And one of my friends chimed in one day. He said, see, you just got to beat down. Now, take your ass whooping and go on and leave Derek alone. What I found is dealing with the bullies, turning back into the storm, into the wind and, and, and addressing it. It cuts down on the number of people that come at you. Mm. They live for this whole. And I think we've gotten this social media thing wrong. Ignore the trolls, ignore the bullies. They are empowered when you ignore them. And when you go quiet, oh, dear God, that's the ultimate. Well, I shut him up. No, don't let them silence you and don't let them take. It's okay to fight sometimes because guess what? We are paid to fight for our clients. So when Pepsi used to hit Coke, Coke would go, oh, you want to play? I don't think we have a generation of ad people who who have fight in them. You know, it's like, oh, oh, I got hit. Fuck that. You hit me. We going. Let's go then. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel I, I now have to give you way more context to what's going on. I just It happens every now and then. There's a couple of things that might pop up and I'm like, you know what? I've got other places to be right now. I've, I've, yeah. had, I've had people write diss tracks about me when I was a kid uh, and, and play them on my radio show because I didn't like a review or I didn't interview them enough or whatever. Like I've, I've been around that world a little. I know I don't look like it. But uh, I just I just had a moment last week, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna like be elsewhere because I have other places I can be, and I'll just be but every, where I want to contribute. At, but here's the thing: it's not a big thing. So, no, but it is because then they come over to my feed, and I have to slap them around. <laughs> because, <laughs> and um, I've got a friend here, Darren McLeod, and he he cracked me up one day. He said this: if he sees this on Facebook, he's gonna deny it. He goes, they don't get it, do they? And we're talking about this whole subject, he knows we were made for battle. You know, we played the dozens growing up. It's like your diss track. You know, we, you had to stand on the playground and let these guys tell jokes about your mama. Mm. And if you got upset, you lost. So to me, it's so odd sometimes that these folks come on and they go, blah, 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 blah. 
And then, you know, I'm like, okay. And see, the madder people get, the calmer I get. And I, my ex-wife would tell you that's the most infuriating thing about me. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll notice the two letters there, E and X. Yeah, so, uh, that was, um, that was, uh, she's still my best friend. So you, you, but, you didn't try to treat her like you were treating people in your blog comments? Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Let, let me circle back to you, my man. <laughs> Hold on. No, Here's no, the thing no, about no. that. I'm joking. I'm joking. And don't take Wait my comment about like calming down on one particular social platform as a metaphor for how weak advertising people are right now. I just, I was just, I needed a break. I just oh, a minute. Break. I'll be uh, back. Don't uh, worry. They are weak. Oh, shit. <laughs> you used me to make the point, though. I don't want that. Now I got to stand up for myself. <laughs> no, I'm just, but I'm saying we have created a whole group of people who can't take conflict. Look, I've never known a copyright and art director team that, and with, even when you throw the account service folks in there, who didn't have conflict involved in this. Hmm. It's, I don't like bullying. I really detest the bully. So if you come at me and you think you're getting smart, I, I really, there's a part of me that goes, oh, I'm just going to have to slap you around. But <laughs> I have gone and sat down with my art director and gone, I just, you know, and we've yelled and screamed at each other. And then we turn around and we're playing pool and we're sitting at the bar and we're, we're good. I don't think this generation can handle that, mm. you know. But in that whole yelling and screaming, glorious ideas come out of it, you know. People get to say what they really feel. But also that takes time to build that rapport up. Like you, you need it to maybe pop off accidentally once and for it to settle and for it to pop off again and for it to settle and for you to feel safe in your job and relationship together. Because most people don't actually have that these days, especially in America where you can get fired at a moment's notice and you have to leave. In other countries, yeah. it's a month or maybe three months if you're senior, senior or maybe six months if you're super senior. Well, here's the other part to that. We no longer work as teams. So you don't get to build that. You know, if if an agency has four art directors and an account service person that does the copywriting, because you don't have a copywriter, or I'm using small agencies, but if you have gone websites, you see that there are no writers. Writers are gone. Hmm. There are art directors that AI, there's um programmers, there's everybody, but then our lack of writers is serious. But the hot idea that Bernbach had was Put these people together. They spend a lot, and I, I say burn back, but there's, you know, I'll say the, the whole team at that agency at the time. The idea of the teams was that these, these people came together and they spent time together. And now we don't do that. We, we, we silo folks. You know, I've, I've talked to young creators and they're like, well, I'll take, my, I'll take my copy to my art director when I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. No. But anyway, don't get me started on that. Well, let me let me go back to you mentioned that it's it's about how you go through it and, and not panicking. But if someone is panicking right now, just telling them not to panic isn't very useful. So how would you advise someone who is panicking about how to go through it? I don't know. I wish I had the answer, but I don't. But you know what? It doesn't help if I get upset with you, you know? And I don't I wouldn't come out and say don't panic. What I come out and say is Let's talk about something else and let's just do, uh, you know, so like when you get that, do you have kids? Yeah. Okay. When you take the children to get a shot, you don't describe the shot to them. You know, mm-hmm. daddy's sitting, mom and daddy are sitting there talking to the child going, and what are we going to do? And you're looking at the doctor going, go ahead, shoot, give them the shot. But You know, we're sitting there talking about something different. So when they get the shot, it's sort of a jolt. 
but it's not as bad as Joda's. My father, bless his heart, is military. So I had to have a spinal tap when I was 10. I am definitely afraid of needles. So my father's all by the books, you know, green. So he doesn't leave the room to get it described, the procedure described. He has them describe it to him in the room with me. And as a 10-year-old, I'm thinking, oh, dear God, just kill me now. Don't I, I cut my neck off. Don't I don't want a shot. So then when they, he goes, and the doctor says something, oh, that needle is three to four inches long. I know my measurements. I'm, I'm in the fourth grade. Like, wait, wait, wait. oh, dear God. And they're going to stick that in me. See, if, if there was a distraction, I would have been able to handle that better. It's not telling people to calm down. It's giving them a distraction. That's why I talk about the work. Mm. That's why I talk about, I love that people are talking about music and these, these DJs are doing their things. There's the, um, the question going on today about what's the most visually beautiful movie you've ever seen. And these, these poor people, they're knaves. Um, Robin Williams with Dreams May Come is absolutely the most beautiful movie ever. I don't want to hear anybody else discuss it. It's the most depressing movie, but it is God. It's the most gloriously beautiful movie. And I was really shocked. Um, have you seen it? Nope, I haven't seen it. I don't even know how I'd answer the question, actually. I'm going to have to think about an answer to that. It's so funny because um, I'm a big Kung Fu fan, so it's so like Curse can, of the Golden Flower. I can get into some of that. I saw you post about that recently. I can get into some Kung Fu movies. There, But there's the new ones out of China that were just beautiful. House of the mm-hmm. Flying Dagger, mm-hmm. Hero. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon started that trend. But I, I'm going to go back. I, I, for me, it was Once Upon a Time in China 1 with Jet Li. That, oh. that was, to me, that was the first time I'd seen that epic Chinese saga incredibly filmic uh and that changed the game for me yeah i want to know why we don't film anything like that in europe or in, in, outside of china i'm like you know because you, you need a million actors don't you <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> that, yeah. that's not cgi that's that they're actual people I, i'm joking but a lot of them it's yeah, actual but, people but think about the landscapes in those movies yeah. And I mean, you know, it's there's a form. I'd like to see commercial shot, one commercial shot like that. To me, um, what's the outdoor company that um, we have an REI coming in here, but they don't do TV? Um, Columbia. Yeah. You know, shoot something beautiful like that once. You know, just once and see how it goes. Um, mm-hmm. I have a crazy old creative director, well, a senior VP from Radio Shack who, on a dare, he challenged me to write a long copy ad for nitrogen-filled cables. I think I say that nitrogen-filled tables? Cables. Cables, okay. Sound cables. Okay. They had gold and nitrogen in it and all of this. And he goes, he's like, oh, you think you're a great writer? I said, no, I think I'm a good writer. And he goes, okay, then write a long copy ad for cables. I was like, challenge accepted. It took me a week. And it's the funniest thing is, so we show him the ads and he goes, okay, we'll run them. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. But we don't look, that's why I, I mean, I encourage people to look around and get out. You want to know the best way to help people not panic is to give them things to do. And focusing on the work or the issues or any of that, 
take some of that away from them. Now, I stopped today because a young lady lost her dad to the disease and she announced it on Twitter. I'm not going to pretend that didn't happen. You know, I'm just not. I, I left her a message and I'm glad she appreciated the message. And um, it makes me sad because I think there are going to be a lot more people like that. But I think the key to this is not to tell people how they should feel. The key is to get people busy doing something other than thinking about it. You know, I, I, these folks are sitting around thinking about getting sick. And that's going to be madness, man. It's just going to mean you, even if you don't get sick, think about the stress you're putting on yourself thinking about getting sick. When's it coming? When's it coming? You can't control that. So why not? Let's. And I, I, I call work play because I worked for Pizza Hut and Toys R Us for almost 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that was work. <laughs> this is play to me. Yeah. So I know that you're taking care of your father right now and you've got family <clears throat> around, but what, what do you put yourself into in times like this when, yeah, things aren't too certain? Oh, man, I'm cooking. I'm either lighting the grill or I'm making a new dish, but I'm also... I began to write a book. I'm thinking about that. I didn't know if I wanted to say that out loud because I've gotten past. The introduction took me forever to write. I don't know how people write these books. I just don't. So I'm writing a book and um, I do stuff like that. Um, I come up with something. I'll I'll call a friend up who's a director and bounce a a script off of him. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm still entertaining putting up a please don't you know putting up a website that I think reflects who Brown and Browner is to me. It's a little easier to do now because everybody's all into their feelings and emotions. So people are finally figuring out what I I I, I was raised a zealot. I mean, I was raised with a faith. So as much as I try to run from it, it, it comes back in times like this. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to do as much as I can, and the rest I'm going to give up to God. But, um, oh, let me tell you, I made croissant toast, French toast. There's a bakery out of San Francisco that sells croissant bread mm. in a low form. Okay. Oh, my God. I've never seen I, that. I had neither until I found it in Whole Foods, and I was like, oh, look at this. Then the foodie in me went, French toast. So, <laughs> all, all, I'm, all I'm thinking about is beans and rice from earlier, and now here you are eating loaves of croissant bread. What oh, happened we, to you, Derek? What went wrong? Oh, man. <laughs> Let me, I want to switch. We, we haven't spoken since you did the daily profiles for Black History Month, which I, and I think mm-hmm. you did it. That this year was second year, right? Or third. Yes. Yeah, second year. How was it for you? You know, what did you take away from it? Was it better than before? Not as good as you hoped it would be? It was it- odd. With the help of Bernadette and Alima, they did the, Bernadette did the templates for the Riviera out of um, California, did the templates for the photographs. She put the photographs in there. That was a big help. And Alima Trapp did the calendar. That was great. This year was a disappointment to me about how people responded, not the profilers. Last year's group was a lot more engaging with people. So when somebody said hello, they responded back, hello, they talked to them. This year, it was strange. They weren't responding as much. So the, the people you profiled weren't interacting back with people who were trying to interact with them, say, on LinkedIn or Twitter. Is that what you're saying? 
Yes. Okay. Not as much. It, it, it's one of those things about expectations where I, I had to warn, I had to get on me about it. You know, mm-hmm. my expectations aren't everyone else's expectations. But um, those folks who did interact actually had, uh, I think, a, a better outcome. They've gotten to talk to more people. And I've got such a cool group of friends and connections on LinkedIn and Twitter that I was sitting there going, you might really want to say hello to this this VP of marketing. You know, you might just want to do that. And I'm sitting there watching these people going, oh, really? The response from my my network was amazing. It was just freaking amazing. We averaged, I averaged out the 30 people on Twitter. They averaged, I think it was 6,300 views. Mm-hmm. And on LinkedIn, it was like, it was, LinkedIn was, it was like 70, I think 7,300, 72, 72 and some change. Mm-hmm. And when I, I, I've got to measure this. When I say I was disappointed, I think people who were looking for work didn't do themselves a service by just letting me profile or needing to, needing a change. And there were a couple of people on the list that did. But once again, a friend of mine says, you can't save everyone. And I sent them little emails going, hey, so-and-so's talking to you. Talk back to them. And if they didn't, shake the dust off your feet and keep moving. Um, I will do it again next year. Shit, I said that out loud. <laughs> but I, look, I like, I like that point because I think that savior thing that can appear when you're trying to help people. I learned that through the music industry, trying to support people, just friends, and, and maybe with, mm-hmm. with various types of more official help. And some people you just can't help. And so it's just, here is a suggestion. Here's an opportunity. If you're interested, cool. But I don't need mm-hmm. to feel like I have to save you as well. Because obviously that can also be part of your own psychology that you got to work yeah. on. You do it because you want to do it. You do it because you yeah. want to contribute and help. And if they take it, they take it. If they don't, it doesn't matter. And I would love to say I'm good at that and it's easy. I don't want to save anybody. I don't think I do. But I'm sitting there going, you can help yourself mm. and you won't. And I don't understand, you know, that part of, if at the beginning of my career, the ECD at one of the top agencies in the world said, I really like your work. We should talk. And you don't respond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, you, you, part, of, part of us old guys, you know, you go, hey, where was that opportunity for me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, do and they you, blow it off. Do you have any idea why they might blow it off? Do they feel embarrassed? Do they not know how to do it? Are they, what's going on? I think they don't know how to do it. We haven't asked enough hard questions about what it is to be social on social media. You know, um, I'm leery of anybody that says they have this down because we haven't played with it enough. I, I really and truly think that the young people think they know because they know more platforms than us, but they, that when someone speaks to you, it's just, it's kind of cool to speak back. Mm. You know? Okay, think about it. Instagram bothers me till all hell freezes so if I will not because people post stuff and they're just posting it and they're, they're like, oh, I'm having a conversation. No, you're not having a conversation. The conversation is back and forth. But the mindset is as long as I'm posting, I'm talking to people. Mm. Yeah, but are you really talking to them? Mm. You know, and um, I love our young people. I really do. But when when I teach at the university, I, I stress this with them. You have got on social media, you've got to be social. 
that's the first part of its name is social. Um, go ahead. Have you ever been to therapy? No. Would Would you ever go? I th- well, I take that back. I have been to therapy, just not a therapist. Church is so much into our lives. Mm-hmm. It was so much into my life before I came home. I came back to South Carolina. I've um, <laughs> would I go to therapy Monday morning was therapy every Monday morning in Dallas for like four years. A group of men from church would meet at this pancake place mm-hmm. at seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning, and we would stay because all of us worked for ourselves. We would stay until almost eleven thirty, twelve o'clock, and we would just talk about life. Mm-hmm. And when I was going through my divorce. Oh, this was a good one. In the same period I got divorced, my mom passed away from cancer and I got laid off from a job. So these guys are, and they, they're, they know me. They've known me for almost 10 years. So they, they're like, oh no, you can't skirt here. If I say, how are you? You know, don't give me that crap about, oh, I'm good. I'm strong. No. And then you go back to the house and you're in, you're laying in the fetal position. How are you? So through all of this, I, I wasn't doing well. I was, and I'm not ashamed of that. But that, that Monday morning meeting helped. So I made the decision to come back to South Carolina. And one of my friends says, I'm going to miss the Monday morning meetings. And I'm like, really? I was like, you always beat up on me. And, and I was just playing with him. I was like, yeah, so you guys, what? So you don't have Derek to beat on no more? He goes, no. He goes, I was too afraid to tell the group how out of control my life was. He said, but I watched the beating life gave you and you kept going. He said, so he said, you don't get it. You were going through that, not for you, but for me. So I can see it. And um, I've always had that kind of relationship with people where there was somebody in my life. I could always call up and go, yo man, I'm just struggling. So I don't know if I need a therapist then. Yeah, I just wanted to ask as a bit of a counterpoint to the staunch stoicism I heard earlier, the battle-hardened Derek, because someone who's prone to introspection and self-expression, there's usually going to be something else that's gone on that you've had to deal with. And it's interesting to say that you, you had that social network. And I, my, I have a hunch, I need to look at research to prove this, that there are a lot of people, especially in major cities, who don't have what you have or had. And one of the first questions in some mental health uh, interactions that people will ask is, if something bad happens to you, do you have someone to call? And the number of people, at least in America, who say no to that, that that's going up and up and up, right? Yes. So maybe there's extra fragility with certain populations because of that who aren't going to church, who aren't religious, who don't have peer groups around them to support them. Uh, But yeah, I just wanted to kind of get in there. I thought you'd let me in. Uh, Get in there just as a counterpoint to the tough talking from earlier, and I appreciate you sharing Well, sorry about that. Let me be clear, though, and I'm sorry to go biblical, but I am still a Peter. Peter was a brawler. If you ever look at what Christ assembled around him, what's written in the Bible, none of the apostles were people you would really want to hang out with. James and John were called the sons of thunder and lightning because they were they were willing to go. But Peter was known to be a brawler. I have never been a peaceful creature. So it's easier for me to fight than it is for me to be peaceful, So, which makes advertising so much fun for me because it's always in my head a fight. My clients go, 
you know, my client, oh, I don't know, ooh, what movie was that? It was a modern Kung Fu movie where Jet Li was on the chain and the guy let him off. He treated him like a dog. Uh, yeah, I know the one. I forgot. Uh, that was, was that a good movie or not a good movie? It was, it was really interesting. Uh, it was uh, in human nature <laughs> and the fight scenes were great. But um, that's what's given me a good career in advertising is I like fighting. Mm. So when a client goes, okay, we want to do this. Like, oh, really? Okay, let's do this then. But you got to understand when, when you throw yourself into it. So it's in my nature. And I get my dad, my father drilled this into us. Know who you are. I've never been that. It, peace comes to me harder. You know, it's not, I'm not that touchy-feely, let's sit by the fire and sing Kumbaya person. I'm that, um, okay, let's go to battle. I always, always recognize with the Klingons. <laughs> Today's a good day to die. And we are Star Trek fans. So it's so funny. It's like, yeah, you know, they're romantics, but they're barbarian fighters. And I'm good with that. Um, But I think, to your point, we've gotten so smart and so jaded that we've cut ourselves off from some of that stuff you described, religion. Smart people don't need therapy. Uh, They don't think they need therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, nobody can help me because I'm so smart. Yeah. I'm so talented. Can think your um, way out of it. The, that's when you really need help. You know, when you start believing your own press releases, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got, a, I got a title for your book, and I, I don't know if you want to be buried, but I have similar language for your tombstone. Are you ready? Yeah. We'll start with tombstone. I think it's going to be Peace Came Hard. Ooh. And the book is Peace Comes Hard. No. No? The book, Peace Came Hard? No, the, ti- the title of the book is Crash and Burn. <laughs> then the tombstone is very, it's a very good punchline. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, the book is going to be about how to ruin your career in advertising. You know, there's all these people that tell you how to make it. I can tell you how to make it. Mm-hmm. Oh, forget that. Let me tell you how to, how to screw your career up. I'm so happy I can, I'm content with the introduction now so I can move on. And, um, You've written one, so you know that that feeling. I do. I still remember doing, I got caught up in how I wanted to do it. I knew I wanted to do it, knew what I was going to call it. I, I was like, do I want to handwrite this or do it on a screen? Ooh. And then I got a little outline together on a piece of paper, wrote the introduction in a couple of days. And I was like, oh gosh, I've already, I've, I have this book happening. And it was quite liberating. And I just kept going. It's good. But it was, <laughs> well, it was I, hard. Okay. I, I got the, the last chat, last paragraph of the introduction is there are plenty of host of books from experts, gurus, mavens, thought leaders, and consultants who can tell you how to succeed, but no one is daring enough to show you how to crash your career. Well, <laughs> I'm here for you. Let's fly your career into the side of that mountain, baby. And that's the whole point of it is to talk about the stuff we, we you know, we think we're being good employees when we're really screwing our careers up. You know, we're not having any conflict at work. I'm getting along with everybody and I'm always compromising. I'm the best employee in the world. Yeah, but you're, you're killing your career. Um, where, does, where does that come from? Like, I, I preach the word disobedience. You know, a lot of what we do needs to be disobedient because ideas disobey the way things are because they're new ways of being. 
but I've, I've, I've found agency culture in general quite obedient and corporate and exactly like Truman Show. I was like, what is this meeting <laughs> that I'm in? <laughs> I don't understand this. Why has nobody said what they think right now? And idiot over here, uh, yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it's no. just, you go crazy. I think, I really think part of it that is they, they learn that in the culture. You know, we recycle employees who are, who are obedient. We get rid of those who, who are dissident. I really want, I don't, I don't think I've written that blog. I really need to write the blog where the young lady called me a bitch in the reading. <laughs> you should. You should bring out and, that, that brawling Peter character. And, but see, she was so upset when she called me that. And we were sitting in the meeting. And I looked at her and I said, yes, I am, but I do it oh so well. <laughs> That's the part that infuriates my friends about me is because when they know they, they say something to me like that. I'm like, oh, okay, so here we go. But I think it's the concept that ideas can come from anybody, and we're all having great ideas, so we all have to be open to them, and we have to be receptive to it, so we have to all be accepting, and don't, don't tell me it's a bad idea. No, no. Doing a Pepsi commercial where the solution to social, social uprising is to give the police a Pepsi, what's a bad idea? It's just, oh, dear God, somebody should have stopped them, you know. And then when, when it goes bad, we go, how did this happen? Was there anybody in the room? Yeah, everybody was in the room. Shut up, mm-hmm. you know, to your disobedient part. They were being obedient. But I think they learned that because Rob's going to come after me, Rob Schwartz. Um, we don't have any creatives leading agencies anymore. And creatives know about conflict. Because if you put two creatives in a room, it's a fight. Sooner or later, they're gonna, there's something that they're going to piss each other off about. And um, think about how we are now. Uh, we, we're, run by, we're run by account service people who never fight with the client. Oh, heaven forbid you disagree with the client. Or we're run by business people who, who run, God, I'm so glad not to work for some of these agencies because they feel like accounting firms. You walk in and you go, dear God, who's, who took your soul, baby? Who took it? Show me the man. I beat him about the head severely. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we've made this a business. When we were something different that was barely a business before, and part of that is we mirror the big things. We mirror the big agencies. And the big agencies are, built by, are owned by holding companies. It is so funny and strange that Wyden does the best work in the world. And they also are independent, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a gap between them and everybody else, the big agencies, you know. So what happened to the Martin agency? What happened to, I, I remember Shiat when Shiat was just pumping work. It was hard to stop Shiat Day. It was hard to stop Goodby Silverstein. It was hard to stop Mullen. It was hard to stop Fallon McGilligate, which became McGilligate. It was hard to stop Crispin and Porter. And then Crispin Porter B, you know, these agencies were hard to stop until something happened. And that was, oh, look, we're going to throw a shitload of money at you to buy you, but we'll let you run it the same way. No, you won't. Mm-hmm. You know, um, our independence, we sold our independence for being a profit center. We're, we're not businesses anymore. We're profit centers. Mm-hmm. Holding companies are not interested in businesses. They're interested in profit. And profit's different from being business. So um, it trickles down. No, it doesn't. 
That's the wrong word. It flows down like the Amazon, like the Mississippi. They're never dry. So think about that messaging. I need people to be good workers, efficient and effective. I don't need them to do that fancy creative stuff. I need them to do work that to keep client happy and keep the keep the dollars flowing. Don't upset the client. Never surprise the client. Don't do anything that may jeopardize the client agency relationship. Yeah, it's no wonder we're here. We were driven here by by profit. Because if you and I, we were arguing this here in Columbia, the one million cups, and one of the guys in the argument was an accountant, and I said, well. There's a difference between profit-making decisions and good business decisions. And that's, and he was, we were going back and forth, and some people don't understand that is. And he explained it out. He goes, no, when I'm trying to make profit, I'm cutting manpower. I'm cutting quality. I'm cutting the quality of the, the things we buy to, to build the product. I'm cutting all of these things. Never am I trying to spend more money to make profit. But when I'm trying to build the business, I'm doing the exact opposite. I'm investing in people. I'm investing in materials and quality and all of this and customer service. Well, guess which one we are now? We're profit. And profit folks cut people. They don't train their people that, okay, we're going to sit in this room and everybody can talk. You can disagree with me. My comment about on Twitter about leaders being on social media was just that. A leader that's afraid to make a mistake or be imperfect, avoid social media. When they avoid social media, what they're telling their people subconsciously is, I'm perfect. You don't disagree with me. We don't butt heads. But those, there was a time when agencies had open door policies. You could come sit down across from a CEO. And I knew because Lord knows with this mouth, I did it. Mm-hmm. I sit across from him and go, I think that's a bad idea. Okay, now why? And nobody, you know, even when it, even when my boss was upset with me, at least they gave me the pretense that they were listening. Mm. And they said, come on in and tell me why. And I didn't get fired for that. Well, I've been fired for some stuff, but not for that. And that's, to me, what we're missing to your point about obedience. They learned that from the top down, not from the bottom up. It's subconsciously what messages do our leaders give their employees? Well, I enjoyed this chat. There was no particular agenda for this chat. I just wanted to see what came up and you, you kind of killed the conversation by saying, I've been through much worse and everyone should just get on with it. And I was like, I don't know what to do anymore, but I always love having it. No. Okay. I'm, I'm teasing. I'm te- yes. I, get it. I get to give it back a little. Uh, well, yeah, you do. I think here's the thing. I've lost two, two friends to suicide and that changes you. You know, uh, you asked about the panicking and I'm not allowed to panic. (laughs) You know, one hit me real hard because he killed himself the day after he called me. And we missed calls that day, the day he called me. So for months, I wondered what happens if I had been able to talk to him, you know, because I knew he was upset. I didn't know how upset he was. And when we talk about, when we use the word panic, it's scared. Inside, I'm afraid for us because nobody seems to want to pick up the mantle and go, you know what? I'm not going to panic. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep doing my job and hopefully you'll come along with me and things will be great. And there's got to be somebody calm in the room. Mm. And I was hoping 
because creators are, are good at this. And I mean creators, I include all of us in advertising as creators. We're good at, at chaos. We thrive in it. So it'd be kind of cool to see us creating in this because it's sort of like the band on the Titanic. You know, the band played on. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they weren't afraid. It doesn't mean they didn't know what was coming. It meant that they were trying to make it easier on somebody else. So I, I guess that's, to my point, I'm thinking, we're the band. You know, if this ship goes down, at least let it go down with us playing. Mm-hmm. You know, let us try to help people. It's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to be frozen in fear. Mm-hmm. And those two things are different. Yeah, for what it's worth, uh, I feel like we could talk about some of these topics for hours and hours and hours. Um, my What I've been trying to do and try to communicate to people is the idea of not freezing and, and not disappearing because there, there will be people who are going through crisis right now who will disappear. They will stay home. Yeah. They will stay home emotionally maybe for the rest of their lives. That's going to happen, let alone... Yeah, you really think they're gonna, it's going to be that big an effect? I mean it spiritually and emotionally that a lot of people will kind of close the door on themselves in this week or two, and bad stuff could happen, and they might just lock up, right? And so, mm-hmm. personal point of view is try not to freeze and try to stay active, try to contribute. Obviously, you got to take care of your basic needs if you can, uh, and uh, may the band continue to play. Derek, where's the best place for people to find you on the internet? Twitter and LinkedIn. At Derek L. Walker. On LinkedIn, yes. What is it on Twitter? I don't even know my head. My, oh, okay, cool. It's, it's, that, it's that. Thank you for dropping by and dropping some knowledge with us today. I hope you get that Thank book you. done soon. I'm going to bully. I'm going to be a bully boy to make sure you get that book done. Well, I've got to do something because, um, you know, this, is, this has been horrible. I fear some agencies won't survive. So, but I would do the book. I shouldn't have said anything publicly about the book because now people know that there's a book coming. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, Stephen King at least talks about writing with the door closed, as in, do your thing, don't tell people about it. And when it's done and edited, then you tell people about it. But, uh, oh, well, <laughs> now people know. Okay. Thank you very much. Man, I think this is a cool format. Um, I want to applaud you for doing this because. You could be doing something else, and this is cool, and you're looking out for people, and that's really cool. So thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love it. It goes like I have to do this. Um, I mean, every now and then I have that thought, like I should be more businessy and more entrepreneurial and doing something else. And then as soon as crisis happens, I'm like, what do I want to do? I want to talk to people. I want to teach people. It's like, that's just how I see myself, I guess. And that's just what I'm doing. So thank you for being here. Appreciate your voice. Appreciate your ideas. And uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate you for making me feel soft as F. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not not cream puff soft more like play-doh soft androgynous <laughs> androgynous soft don't worry I, we'll get into this when you come to new york we'll actually tell some stories best wishes with everything there and um give your dad a hug for us i sure will let's talk after you end this for a quick second I will. I will. All right. I'm going to end it officially now by saying thank you for joining me on Sweathead today, Derek. Peace.